Hey Purpose peeps, I'm working on a new project for our Black Girls of Purpose community and I need you to help me make sure that this is a good fit. So if you have five minutes, go to blackgirlswithpurpose.org forward slash survey, S-U-R-V-E-Y, to answer a few questions for me. This will again make sure that I'm offering the best possible thing I can for this community. That's blackgirlswithpurpose.org forward slash survey. Purpose peeps, welcome back to the Black Girls of Purpose podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lightfoot Smith, founder and chief connector at Black Girls of Purpose. And today, y'all, I have I can't say my favorite guest because that wouldn't be fair, but I will say someone on the podcast who, if it were not for her, I don't know if Black Girls of Purpose would be in existence just because she has helped me with a lot of clarity around so many different things. And we'll get back into we'll get into that specifically once we get into the interview. But I'm just gonna go ahead and go straight into her bio. So Elsie. Johnson is an award-winning writer, entrepreneur, and activist with a passion for empowering women, especially women of color. A dynamic, creative, and committed social justice professional with a well-established entrepreneurial spirit, Elsie has 10-plus years of of experience with curriculum development and facilitation, program design, entrepreneurship, public speaking, and community building. She is a recognized subject matter expert whose work and writings on the topic of race and gender have appeared in outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Huffington Post, Black Enterprise, and Policy Mike. And she has personally helped me countless times over the past six plus years in my entrepreneurial journey. So as I said before, so excited to introduce you all to Elsie. Welcome to the podcast, Elsie. Hi, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. And probably what's not in my bio, but you all will get a taste of is I'm also a mom of two. I am uh, in hiding out in my kids' rooms right now. So my daughter's crib is behind us. Um, <laughs> when Bree said podcast, I didn't realize this was going to be a video on situation. <laughs> so y'all are getting the realer than real. Yes, yes. All the behind yeah, the scenes. I think we're about to get <laughs> a guest, guest star a <laughs> guest star a co-star yes that's no problem at all you know we uh my community has definitely heard plenty of Jaden's um tantrums in the background of my of my podcast interviews or them being out and not realizing that my podcast was still recording so they're running into the room and they're all excited to see me so we're just gonna roll with it <laughs> awesome awesome so you hit perfectly on um, that. That's normally my first question is like what people would learn about you or what people would know that is not in your bio. But I know that also in your bio, we don't even talk about Zora's house. So tell us a little bit about Zora's house. Sure. So I am going to put this little one down. I'm sure she'll, she will crawl back to us. But, <laughs> okay. um, thank you so much for asking about Zora's house. So Zora's house is a co-working space and leadership incubator here in Columbus, Ohio, where I live that centers the healing, creativity, leadership, and activism of women of color. Um, And we like to think of ourselves, um, honestly, as a people incubator. So typical business incubators say, okay, well, how many people have um, started businesses out of here or whatever? We really think about what it looks like to support women of color 
um, as whole people. And our mission pretty simply is to um, help women of color identify the dreams that they have for themselves, their families, and their communities um, to activate and catalyze those dreams and then put whatever um, support resources we have towards helping them achieve those dreams. So that often looks like programming, it looks like community, it looks like, you know, um, space to collaborate and dream where you don't have to be the only black woman um, in the conference room. Um, and so all of that kind of partners together into how we do the work to really support the creativity, healing, leadership, and activism of women of color. And it's just a dope space. I, I often talk about Doris House and I'll describe it by saying, um, imagine your favorite coffee shop and your homegirl's house had a baby and that's Zora's house. It's like you come in, there are a couple of folks doing emails and like the co-working room, like Lauren Hill is playing in the conference room, somebody's burning incense and it always smells like shea butter. So like it just, it's a magical, magical place. What I love is that I've been connected with you for years now I don't even know when I when I first stumbled upon you when I first took your first you know talking about being having incubators and stuff like that but I know that one I've been connected with you before Zora's house was even an idea at least not something that you had shared with the larger community but then two to see like hey going from a landing page and here's some standard photos some stock photos of black women doing cool things to know this is when i'm showing you these photos this is actually our space and i love that you said it's like your your homegirl's house and your best your favorite coffee shop had a baby because i know all of us have that favorite place where i mean i don't even drink coffee but there's just something about like a good coffee shop where you just like yes i'm about to come in here i'm about to get some stuff done like it's on and i, I even saw a post on instagram i think it was yesterday that said anytime you get more than three women of color in a room and they have their laptops like some pieces are about to be moved around on the board and so i just love that you have created that space especially because you were creating that space already for so many women. So I'm sure to have it in one, uh, in a physical location is a, is an awesome experience. Yeah. I love, first of all, I need that. Um, I need that, that uh, post that you saw so we can repost it on the Zora's house page. Um, and I love that you, you know, said that just in terms of it going from being an idea to an actual vision. I remember the very first event that we hosted, we hosted before Zora's house was even properly open. We didn't have any furniture, um, but it, there was an opportunity that we had and I had just, um, I had just gotten pregnant and given birth to my son, who's almost four now, which is crazy to say. Um, but I had just gotten pregnant and given birth to my son. And during that process, I was looking for a doula. And I was having a really, which is a, a birth advocate and support person for moms. Um, and I was looking for a doula and I was having a really hard time finding a doula of color. So the hospital that I, um, that I get where I gave birth had a doula program, which is awesome because so many don't where they actually will match you with a doula and it's a lot more affordable than a traditional doula, which could run up to a thousand dollars or more. Um, and, but the difference was that you don't get to meet them ahead of time. You meet their whole cohort of doulas and then whoever's on on call that night is the, the doula that you have in your room, but there were no doulas of color, like period. And I remember talking to the woman who ran the program and just saying, hey, like, you know, I mean, are they just like, 
you know, not here at this meeting or like, what's the word? And she was like, you know, we're having a hard time getting folks signed up. And so about a year later, um, I remember her, we had talked at that time. I was like, man, I'd love to help you figure out how we could do something where we get some more um, doulas of color, like enrolled in this. And about a year later, you know, she reached back out to me. Zora's house had like just been built. We weren't even open. We had no furniture. Like there was literally still like construction dust, like on the floor. Um, and she said, can we, can we put together a training for, um, doulas of color? And so we partnered with the hospital foundation and Zora's house, our first event. And we flew in a black woman birth worker who trained birth workers from North Carolina. And we had a doulas of color event where we trained 40 black women doulas in our county. And it was so powerful. And I remember that day when I was telling everybody and they were coming in and I said, thank you so much for being here. And what's so special about this is that you are literally standing in my dream. This was a dream that I had um, to be in the space, to have this space for the space to exist. And you are standing in my living dream. And I am so grateful to be witnessed by you all. And it was just so incredibly powerful. Um, because I, I think to your point, there is something really special about what happens when women of color come together. Okay. And... Let's see if Cheerios will fix it. I love how that's a um, mom. That's a mom tip. She had them on hand. Okay, she was ready. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Sorry about that. My husband can hang with her for a little bit, and then uh, I'll be back on duty once our interview is over. Yeah, so y'all are getting what would otherwise be a nap time. So I hope you're really enjoying this interview. <laughs> I love it. So you spoke on a few things, um, and. Really, what I think about just what you've been able to do again it's it's kind of speaks to something that I was talking with another guest about is that a lot of times the big idea right the thing that we find has the quote unquote most success is the product of think smaller things that we've been doing along the way. It's not just a hey, I had this idea of resource house I've never worked with communities of color before mm-hmm. I'd never created events before, but I was just like let's just see if we can make something happen right so it 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 comes with various experiences and I know yours started back when you were at Duke, right so give us a little bit more insight into. You know, what made you an advocate for communities of color? Um, give us a little insight into like your, what you would consider your first business and then how it is to see where you are, where you were then to where you are now. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, Bree is going to take y'all back because me and Bree have been in relationships since. I don't even know, 2012 or something. It's been a while. That's that's before either of us had any babies, uh, any type of ideas about anything. Um, but to your point, so, you know, you kind of mentioned my undergraduate experience. So I was um, a black woman who attended Duke University the year after the, the lacrosse scandal happened. And for those of you who aren't familiar, there was a scandal that happened in 2005 when the lacrosse team rented a house off campus and hired um, a few strippers who were all black women 
Um, and there were some allegations that came out of that. And the lacrosse team was primarily all white, pretty privileged white men. You have these black women and there were some allegations of sexual misconduct, sexual assault that came out of that. And it was a huge, huge scandal. Um, not only just because of, of um, what had happened, but also because of the historical dynamics between um, Duke University and Durham. Duke is a primarily white, pretty privileged university. Durham is a primarily black, um, not economically privileged town. And so a lot of what was happening was kind of like playing out on this on multiple parallels. And even on the campus, it really raised a lot of turmoil because a lot of it was an opportunity for a lot of black students and even black faculty to to speak on how they have or have not felt truly welcomed or in community at Duke. So I remember I had already signed my acceptance letter and like the week later, like all this broke. And I'm like sitting there looking at my mom like, uh, is it too late for us to get our deposit back or nah? Um, and so, and my mom was very much like, you're not going. Um, and so, you know, I did end up going, but it, the, the, the campus was charged. It was racially charged. It was emotionally charged when I got there. And so I, I entered college and entered my experience kind of like thinking through who I was um, during this, this incredibly racially tense time. And it made me very aware of my identity as a Black woman. Um, not that I hadn't been. I was raised in a household where we were what I like to call blackity black. So we just had all the like black dolls, all the black fairy tales, like all the blackness um, all the time. And so I really appreciated my identity as a black person. However, I had not thought a lot about my identity as a woman. And, and it wasn't until I got to college and, and um, on the heels of that scandal. And then I took my first women's studies class that I realized like, oh snap, there's something different here about being a black woman. There's something unique here about my experience. Even my experience with blackness is unique because of my womanhood. And um, it wasn't something I had had an opportunity to explore. So I really got it engaged with what does gender identity mean? What does it look like for us? How does it interact with racial identity, class identity, you know, in a term that, you know, Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw has termed as intersectionality, which is the idea of all of these, these identities that we have intersecting with one another. Um, who am I as a Christian, as a, you know, ed a person with a college degree, as a Black person, as an African American person, as a woman, all of these things are intersecting to form my unique experience and perspective of how I look at the world. And I was really fascinated by that. Um, so yeah, coming out of college, I, I really kind of just, just stayed with this idea of like, wow, you know, I'm interested in like, I was really interested in black women. And, and at the time um, I started doing some work. I worked at a summer camp that was really transformational for me called the Say Nash Leadership Project, which is in New York. Um, ended up working with them for a little bit and it kind of cemented, you know, my love of kind of ex exploration of identity and what it means to move through the world as a, as a um, girl or woman of color. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll spare you kind of like the boring parts, but, you know, I had a series of nonprofit jobs for a couple years after I graduated from college. Um, and during 
probably about two or three years after I graduated from college, you know, I decided I was kind of like going through the stands of my first serious relationship. And I was like trying to figure out my career and all of this. And I decided to start writing about it. I started this blog called Color Girl Confidential. Bria's like smiling because now we're getting into the, now we're getting into where, where we, our relationship begins. I started this blog called Color Girl Confidential. And to Bree's point, sometimes we end up doing work that we are not sure where it's going to lead us. And it may not feel as big as what our visions are, our passions are. Um, and, it, and it may never get to the scale that we hope or think it will be, but it's leading us to something different. And it's, it's meant to play a different role in your life. So for me, I wrote for CGC for about four years, honestly. I started writing. Shortly after I started writing, I got laid off from my job about six months after I started writing, six to nine months. And um, I was kind of at a crossroads. I was like, well, I can get another job or I can just like, I don't know. I don't have any kids. I don't have a lot of bills. I asked my then boyfriend, can I come crash on your couch? Uh, little did I know he was planning to propose. So we um, then boyfriend, now husband. But I was like, can I come crash on your couch? Otherwise, I'm going to have to go move in with my parents in Arizona. Um, and I was like, let me just see what I can do with this thing. And so I really started diving into um, speaking and teaching and supporting others. Um, and one of the things that I deeply believe and I think was really affirmed for me during that time is that we are always students and we are always teachers. So even as we're still learning, there's somebody who is where we were six months ago, right? And so a lot of people could have said my first course, which was called the Bloggers MBA, you know, there were other blogs out there that had hundreds of thousands of subscribers. You know, I had like 3000 subscribers at the time, um, but they were really engaged. And there were many people who were like, I want to start a blog myself. How do I do it? How do I do it? And I kept trying to like send them to other people. I was like, well, I don't know, ask this person. And finally one person was like, I'm asking you. And I was, and it was a light bulb moment for me. It was like, oh, this person thinks that I have something to offer that these other people don't have. And so it was one of those things where I was like, you know, what? I may not know how to grow a 10 million person blog, but this person doesn't even know how to put up a WordPress site. Like I know how to do that. So, you know, really starting to like teach and coach based on the, my lived experiences, which is something I've always wanted to honor the lived experiences and creativity and leadership of women of color. So that really started me on my journey. I think to Bree's point of, of, um, really looking at my own creativity, my own leadership, understanding the way that, that I show up as a teacher, and then really thinking about how do you build community amongst women of color and finding so much joy in that community and just realizing like, wow, I love this. And it brings me so much light. And to the point that we're having this conversation today, Bree was one of those original folks who reached out to me and, and, you know, we had this conversation and, and it's a relationship that has spanned over, you know, eight years. And, you know, it, it and I think that just speaks to um, the passion that I really feel for the work and the folks who are in the work. Um, so that was the real start and the, the seed of Zora's house. Zora's house is, I, I like to think of Zora's house as almost like, you know, the big sister, like the grown up of, you know, CGC. And I would not have known that. I didn't start CGC thinking that I was going to start Zora's house, but that work has informed the work that I do today. That just, mm, it just, you just want to cuddle up with it. You just want to <laughs> just snuggle with it because 
I like if y'all listen to this podcast, if you don't get anything else, every week we end up talking somehow about how you just have to get started, how you never know what's on the other side of your obedience, how, you know, one thing is going to lead to the next and how we want to do literally, I mean, verbatim, I think on another interview I did this week, I said, we want to always do the big things. And we want God to tell us like, start that fortune 500 company. But when he says, start a blog, nobody wants to start a blog, you know, or, or when he says, start a podcast, we start, but then we're not consistent with it. And we're like, oh, I'm not getting enough listeners. So I'm out. And you really have to detach yourself in some way from the outcome and just say, hey, this is a space where God's calling me to be of service. This is a space that I'm passionate about. And I think that naturally, especially like, and I love that you said, we're all students and we're always teachers at some point, because I think if you start to get invested in the success of people who you interact with, who you serve, then you're, you're not necessarily always looking at like, well, this hasn't made this much money yet. You're just like, man, I'm being impacted by this. This person is being impacted by this. And I want to do more work like this. And that also gives you the flexibility to have that evolution, uh, which transitions really well into my next question, because I know that you were full time as an entrepreneur. And then there time, a time came when you was like, okay, sis is about to get a corporate job. So tell us a little bit about that transition, because even your role was still within that you know, women, empowerment, understanding, education, equity space? Yeah, so it's a really good question. And I mean, I think you're you're speaking some real truth there in terms of thinking about, um, you know, I, I will acknowledge like, you know, yeah, we're all trying to, trying to make money. We need to be sustained. Many folks who are listening to this are, are grown and some of y'all are young, but thank you grown, um, you know? And so the fact is there, there is all of those consideration, but it, it can take time for the pieces to all come together. And so I think the problem is sometimes we're just looking at the puzzle piece and not the whole puzzle because we don't have the whole puzzle. So sometimes you really, that's where the faith piece comes in that you continue to be discerning and be prayerful about, is this the right next step? Um, instead of thinking about, what's five years in the future? And I had to keep kind of asking myself, like, is this the right next step? And I think that's what led me to Zora's house when I wouldn't have had this vision for Zora's house five years ago and then said, okay, I'm just going to build this thing. So to Bree's point, you know, I, I spent about four years being self-employed. I really enjoyed it. I made enough money to kind of like pay my bills and hang out and, um, travel and get to work with cool people and do stuff I wanted to do and walk my dog in the middle of the day. It was just like, it, this was like, I was living the Corona life before Corona happened. Like I was just doing all the things that everybody's doing now. And they're like, whoa, I do my meetings in my pajamas. I'm like, girl, I've been doing that. Um, and so, you know, I, I had that experience, but it was also challenging because I was in my early twenties and I was, you know, going after these contracts and doing all this stuff. And it was a lot, you know, and I was still growing as a leader. So, and, and also, um, you know, growing a lot in my personal life. Like I said, my, I was in my first serious relationship that turned into an engagement that turned into marriage. So thinking through all that, I was, my mom um, has a chronic illness and she was really, really sick during this time. So by the time we moved to Columbus in 2015, I was really exhausted. I was like, I'm burnt out. 
I don't want to, I'm not an entrepreneur. I was like, I, I didn't say I'm not an entrepreneur. I said, I'm done with entrepreneurship. I was like, I'm so done with this. I'm over it. I don't want to do it anymore. I just want to get a job and have a steady paycheck and not have to worry about any of this anymore. And that was in June and May of 2015. Mind you, by December of 2015, I had had the idea for Zora's house, but that's neither here nor there. I definitely told my husband, I was like, I'm done. Um, and so I went about, you know, finding, you know, seeing what, what opportunities were available to me. And then I had a dream one night about being in the space. Cause at the time I was also looking to connect with other women of color. I knew that was something that was going to help me feel more at home, um, here in my new, you know, in the new city where I lived and I was looking for an opportunity to connect with other women of color and they were hard to find. And so I had this dream one night of being in this really cool space, kind of like your favorite coffee shop in your homegirl's house had a baby. And I was just there and I was like hanging out and there were these other cool people and we were like laughing. There was this sense of like familiarity and comfort, <clears throat> excuse me. And um, I woke up and I was like, I want that. I have to have that. And I started to look for it and it didn't exist. And I was like, well, I mean, it has to, it has to exist. Like that is meant to be a thing. And so I remember in December telling my husband, I was like, yeah, so membership, um, um, and you know, we had a conversation. I said, I have this idea. I want to do this thing. And so I, I actually had my first vision of Zora's house in, you know, December of 2015. It did not open until April of 2018, um, which actually is still relatively fast to like build a space from the ground up in a community that you literally just moved to. People are always like, wait, what you hold on. Um, however, I did know, and at that time we kind of talked about, okay, what's it going to take for you to do this? And this is where I say, I really acknowledge that we also have to be sustained. Um, many of us may be helping to sustain our families in different ways. And so I knew I was like, okay, I can build this thing, but like, I have to get a job. Like, this is going to take capital. This is going to take resources for our family. Like I have to get a corporate job. I was blessed enough to find a role within my space. I was at, um, I was the director of leadership and social justice programs at the YWCA Columbus, whose mission is to eliminate racism and empower women. So it literally just was like made for me. I was like, um, thanks. Uh, and so I really felt like, and there were times when it was not ideal, but I knew that this is what it was going to take in order for me to, um, be able to seed my dream. And so for the last four years, I have been working full time as we bought it. I bought a lot, built a space, opened the space, run programs, launched like, you know, all these different things. And so that was something that is so, um, so it has been, it's been quite a, a journey. And, and part of my journey has been, you know, to have to take other roles um, and utilizing those roles to fulfill and help me grow my leadership and build my connections and just trying to be strategic. Um, but yeah, Zora's house has definitely been like a labor of love. Um, and I'm really grateful for the way that I did ultimately that I did ultimately approach it. Although like, yeah, it took, it took a lot of time and, and effort and um, a journey that was different than what I would have envisioned, I think. Yeah. And I think that's, it kind of goes back to that not being attached to the outcome piece, because I know for me and for probably many entrepreneurs, you think that when you get that j brilliant idea, 
you know, you're going to launch it. It's going to make a million dollars in your first six months. And you're just going to be out here on easy street. And don't get me wrong. There are people who they do have those stories where you're like, sis, what? Like I was, I was at a venture uh, capital competition practice the other day. And this person was talking about how they just Open, like they just got founded, just got their paperwork for their business in January. And in February, it's an online learning platform for children. Uh, February, they were trying to get capital from people. And people were like, Nobody's care- nobody cares about online learning. And then COVID happened the very next month. And so she said, people were reaching back out to her like, hey, we got $50,000. What can you do with it? And so that that's one of those like miracle moments and God will do those things. But I feel like it's you, we do ourselves a better service and we position ourselves better when we say, Hey, I'm going to put the work in just in case it don't pop off like that, you know? And, 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 and I, I love when people say to pr- pray, like it depends on you, but then work, I mean, pray like it depends on God, but then work like it depends on you. Like you have to put the work in. And I heard a quote last week that, um, someone said, Tony Evans says that your, your faith is in your feet. So like, what are you doing? If you really believe that what it is that you have a vision for can come true, what are you doing to, to move towards that thing? And even for you to be able to take a step back and say, okay, realistically, if this is something I'm serious about building, like, I want to put, I want to put in my own money. I want to bet on me first. Right. Because I know even in these past few months, you've been able to raise some money for Zora's house and have done little, not little different competitions. Um, but it starts with you betting on yourself. So I would just love to know even more about that. Like, when did you get to a point where you're saying, okay, I feel like this idea has enough traction that we can get some investors in here that will also see the vision of what we're doing. Yeah, so I want to talk a little bit about minimum viable products, which I'm a big believer in. But before I even go into that, Bria, I want to I want to follow up on something you just said, because you shared a story of the person who was like, yeah, I was in February and nobody cared. Then all of a sudden people were like, yeah, what are you doing? And <clears throat> while on the outset, that story sounds like, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to be there right before a market hits. The fact of the matter is, first of all, when we hear these stories about um you know, folks kind of launching their businesses and doing these different things. We actually don't know what led up to that. We don't know what businesses have been started and failed prior to that. We don't know if she had her own version of CGC and she had an online learning blog for five years before she launched this. So first of all, like we don't know. We don't know the foundation that came before this business that allowed her to be in a place for her to even start the business, right? So that's number one. And then the other piece of it is that even within that, we look at that and it's a blessing, but like, you are not always prepared. Sometimes God needs to do something for you in your life, in your business, in your faith, in your family, for you to be prepared for the level of blessing that you may think that you are prepared for right now. And, you know, the fact of the matter is like, yeah, that could be great. And she could be totally ready to just sprint or she could be very overwhelmed because all of a sudden she's getting all this business and she's not going to be able to take advantage of it because she was not set up. She, she just started, you know, like she may not have the capacity. And so what will end up happening many times, just like we saw with zoom, zoom almost freaking bombed during COVID because so many people were turning to zoom and they were like, ah, we don't have the capacity to handle this situation. You know what I mean? And so I know that for me, I was just talking to somebody recently where last year I was starting to feel really frustrated with what I felt like was a lack of 
as much progress as I wanted to see, right? And I was like, I want to have a full-time staff person. I'm ready to have this. Like, I want to have this. I want to have this. 2020 hit. And I was thanking my stars that Zora's house is so lean that it barely impacted us because we only have one part-time staff. We've stayed like super, super lean. And I was thinking, no, like I want this and I want that. And I want to grow in this way. And I was really frustrated that I felt like we weren't doing more. We didn't have more staff. We weren't. And I was like pushing for all that. And then I had a mentor just tell me to sit down and be still for a little minute. And that was really helpful. But also then I look at it and I'm like, wow, you know, like I, I would have been building all this stuff up. And had I done that, you know, not knowing what was to come, excuse me, like 2020 would have hit us hard. So like we were actually really well prepared for 2020 because we had stayed lean. And so you just never know the reason behind why things may be working out in the way that they are. Um, and we, again, it's about puzzle piece versus the whole puzzle. Like I was looking at a puzzle piece. I didn't know that that coronavirus was going to be part of my puzzle. So, you know, it's just one of those things where I'm really grateful for the fact that, you know, um, yeah, that like we did end up staying lean. And so to that point around how did, so then how do you know when you're ready to scale? So if you all are familiar, there's a book that I love. It's called the lean startup. And it talks about this methodology where the whole point of your first initial products is to answer questions about what your customers want. So one of the things, and some of y'all who have launched things before or done things before may be familiar with the situation that happens when you feel like you have a great idea, then you even go out and talk to people who would be the perfect buyer for it. And they say, yes girl, make that. Like as soon as you make that, oh, I'm buying it. I can't wait to buy it. So then you go back, you like, oh, they don't know. I'm about to make this. Man, I already got this customer. I got this. Man, let me sit down and make this. So you just do your little thing. You make it. It's sexy. You got everything that it needs. And then you're like, bow. Let me reach back out to those people who said they were going to buy. So you're like, hey, sis, like, Girl, been a few months, wanted to let you know, like, got this little product popping off. So, uh, here's the link. Go on, get you some. Sis? Sis? And it is literally all of the crickets. All of the crickets. Bree's laughing because she done done it. We've all done it, right? And so, um... You know, I, I laugh about this story because I have been in that situation so many times, especially early in my entrepreneurial my entrepreneurial journey. And I'd just be like, man, I'm a killing with this. I'm a killing with this so hard. Like, this is it. Got my clientele. Man, I went and launched a thing and I got one sale. I was like, wait, but what about? Um, and see, what, what happens is that oftentimes people will overestimate um, and, or, you know, people will talk about the solution that they want, um, without fully understanding the problem that's actually plaguing them. So it's our job as business owners to really deeply understand the problem and then test out the solutions that are actually going to get people to buy. So Henry Ford has a famous quote, um, who's the developer of, of Ford, um, motor company has a famous quote where he says, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses right? And this idea is that like people don't always know what they want. They know how they feel, but to Bree's point, like 
what are their actions actually telling you? Because sometimes we even lie to ourselves about what we want and what we need and our actions will actually tell on us in terms of what is actually resonating with us. So the lean startup methodology is all about creating something that's called a minimum viable product. And even if you don't read the book, you can look up lean startup, you can look up MVP and it essentially takes an idea that you have. And instead of, um, going and creating the whole idea you take like the essence of that idea and then you go out and you just try to sell it you see who's actually going to buy it so instead of talking to those folks about what they will buy give them the link and if they buy it or they rsvp or they pre-order it then you're like oh, okay i might be on to something because what you really want to measure is whether or not people are interested enough to buy before you develop the entire idea and you can do that at different iterations at different times in your businesses um, in different small ways. So I'll give you an example of how I did it when I was blogging and how I did it with Zora's house. So when I was blogging, I wanted to try out the lean methodology with the bloggers MBA. So what I did was I created the whole concept. I said, okay, this is what it's going to be. It's going to have these four modules. You're going to learn these things. I wrote out the sales page and that's it. I didn't create anything. I just wrote out what it was going to be. And then I, I started to, you know, I basically gave myself like three weeks to see if I could advertise this. I sent it out to a bunch of people. I put a price tag on it. Um, and then I started to see if people were actually going to buy it. And then my goal is that like, I'm only going to make this if at least 10 people buy it. Right. Because that was the minimum to me. I'm just like, otherwise it's just one person is not worth it to me. And I'll just say like, Hey, this actually got canceled. Here's your money back whatever. And so I got the number of people that I needed. And that was what helped me say, okay, I'm not just asking people, will you pay for this? I'm, I'm putting it in front of them. This is what it is. Here's the actual sales page. It wasn't like me just telling them it looked like the course already existed. It just didn't, I, I didn't build it until I saw what people um, were going to say about it. And then there's a second round that you do after people experience it and you get to learn even more about what was your experience like, and like all of these things. With Zora's house, I did something similar. So before I decided to open a physical space, I was like, well, I know what I'm really craving is community. So I started a meetup group and I started a meetup group and I was like, okay, I'm new here. I'm going to start up this meetup group. It's called Zora's Daughters. And it had the same kind of like concepts and vibes that I wanted Zora's house to have. Um, and, you know, I, I started to host the same type of like pop-up events that I imagined Zora's house would have. We had book clubs, we had like, you know, nature walks inspired by like women of color poets. We had pop-up co-working sessions. We just did all the things that I imagined if I had a physical space, like this is what would happen at Zora's house, right? And so I wanted to see what resonated. And the other thing that I did is whenever people joined, I had like an automatic response. So if you have a, a MailChimp or, a, or something that allows you to send out emails, you can kind of set a series for anytime somebody signs up for your newsletter. Well, I was doing mine through Meetup. They don't have a feature like that. So I literally had a Google document. I would go in, I copy it, I copy, and then I paste it. Like every single time, thousands of women join this group, but every single time somebody joined, you know, I put in the work, I would, I would copy and paste this, this, um, welcome note to them that would say, Hey, you know, thanks so much for joining. This is me. My name is LC. Like, this is the whole point of this group. Like, here's a little bit about me. Like, tell me something about you. Like what brings you to this group? What do you love? All of that kind of stuff. And I would say probably about 20% responded. So I probably got like a hundred emails, um, over the course of that year that I ran it from all these different women of color telling me like what it was that was bringing them to the group, what they were looking for. And that was also my way of doing real research, right? They'd already taken an action by joining this group. 
you know, it wasn't a pain group, but they joined this group because it was enough of a pain point for them to start looking for a solution. And so to get in their own words, well, what exactly is the pain point? So really taking time to do the research, test out your idea. And in some ways, I think of Zora's house itself right now is like a pilot. So we're in an actual house. And the what my husband and I agreed to is that we would build a house. We actually bought up a vacant lot. We built two structures on the property. There's a main house and what's essentially like a guest house. We live in the guest house. Zora's house is in the main house. And the whole thing was that like, if worse comes to worse and this thing completely bombs and everybody's like, who the f came up with this stupid idea? Um, then all we, we just have a house and we'll live in it and we'll rent out the guest house and that's it. There's no harm, no foul, right? But if this thing grows and does all these and, and um, you know, is resonant with the people in the community, then Zora's house can move out on its own. And, you know, that's when we'll know, right? And so over the last year, we've grown, we've continued an upward trajectory, we've been raising money, like, I'm not just going to go full time and like, just start doing all this stuff and say like, oh, all that was ever needed was for me to be full time. I've been raising money. I've been learning how to pitch. Like Re mentioned, like those are my first ever pitch competitions. I had to learn how to pitch. I learned while I still had a full-time job and while, you know, like all of these things that I've been kind of cultivating to see what resonates, what doesn't, what programs resonate, what don't. And so I'm a really big believer in building things, um, allowing people to really um, see what it is that you're building and, and opt into it with their actions or their money. Um, we recently launched a national network. So those of y'all who are listening, if you're national, um, check it out. It's not something that we've advertised yet and we won't until 2021. But if you hear this, Brie will have my contact information. You're interested in learning more, let me know. But we recently launched a national network and that happened because <clears throat> after George Floyd was murdered, we did a series of healing circles that were really powerful. And several people asked us, how do we stay involved? These were folks who are outside of Central Ohio. And so I said, we don't actually have, I mean, I don't know, we're in Central Ohio. But I said, you know, if y'all want to pilot, we had just done a bunch of big uh, investment in our back end technology, our online community site. I said, if y'all want to pilot something, Brie knows, I sent it out to her. I was like, hey, you want to help me like pilot this thing? Um, and I straight up said, like, if I get enough of y'all to say, yes, we want to pilot this and we'll actually pull out your credit cards and pay, then we'll do it. We got the number of people, so now we're doing it, you know? But had I not, had I, a couple people had asked me, yeah, I really want this. Um, had I not, first of all, got, reached back out and like gotten a significant, you know, additional number, I wouldn't have done it. And number two, like, had I then said, okay, well, here's an opportunity to actually do it. Like, sign up, here's how much it costs, sign up and like, let's do it. And had those same folks not actually reacted with, oh yeah, of course, let me sign up. That would have told me, okay, they were asking for something out of what they think they need, but this clearly isn't a priority for them right now. So that was a very long answer, but um, that's some of the best advice that I've received about starting and growing things. No, it was great. And y'all just low-key got a free coaching session on starting a business. And, and, and I loved that you showed how it can happen in different business models, right? Because people were like, oh, well, that's easy for you to do because you, you have a space. And it's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, you have an online course, but really you can do it in any number of ways. I mean, I, I think pop-up shops have really shown are giving people an easy way to do that and even people moving into the digital pop-up shop space and being like hey i got 10 products all right you know it's it's not because sometimes it is a 
hey, I have a physical product, so I need to, I, I can't just like pre-sell stuff, which even then you really can, but if you feel like you want to go ahead and make something, do your thing. But you, you know, I, I've heard people who have said, hey, I'm making 50 of these because it won't cost me a lot of time. I'm doing it anyway for my family and my friends, especially like I think of, of people who I know who are making their own skincare products and then people just kept asking them for their things so they're like hey i got an extra batch if y'all buy this then i'll look at making more but it really is important and i think that's in when, when you talk about that i think it really just shows the importance of valuing your own time because i had to get to that same place of sis you can't just keep like launching things or you know you're spending these hours and hours and hours and then you're completely abandoning this idea uh, because it's not seeing the success that you like. And another thing that you said that I really want to hone in on is sometimes as creatives, as business owners, we will have interactions with one or two or maybe even 10 people who say, oh my gosh, you should do this. And so we start building that thing based off of that feedback that we're getting. And then like you said, that's why I was cracking up laughing because he was like, sis, sis, sis you there? Hey, it's, it's, it's the product you want, you don't remember? But um, I... I resonate with that because there have been things that when I look back, I'm like, why did I even do that? Right. And some of it is, well, they, well, so-and-so asked me if I offered that. Okay. But did you want to offer that? Or, you know, do you feel like you're less than if you're not offering that? And what I have learned now is to say, oh, that's not a service that I offer, but I can refer you to X, Y, and Z. Or no, I don't have a program like that, but you know, who has a bomb program like that? This person. And, you know, if you get enough answers like yours where they're like I'm asking you because I want to work with you then that's different but you can still have that framework like you said where you make the landing page for people to buy stuff um so you're just not trading your time only for it to be this sad website that people stumble upon because you own the domain now for two years and you can't take it down <laughs> like take it go daddy listen people be so quick to like get an Instagram page get a, a domain name and it's like it's like let's just see if this has legs that's right that's exactly how you think of it like let's see if this has legs let's see if people actually want to interact with it and uh, the whole point of a minimum viable product is like how can we do this with the least investment of time and money like how can we test this with like as little time and money as possible so you know you may say like well how do you test a co-working space without you know without a co-working space it's like well you do pop-up co-working do people show up? Like, you know, we are an incubator, so we have other types of programs. So it's like, can we do other types of events, like host them in other people's spaces? Do people show up? And what does that look like? And so um, I think that is something that, you know, we do not do enough of. And as women and women of color, Black women in particular, you know, it is, we are the least invested in group of entrepreneurs. Uh, and so it's up to us, unfortunately, to be even more creative about how our work gets done and how our work is launched and supported. Um, and yeah, one of the ways that I've done that is just by being super creative and, and testing out ideas with real customers, like really selling ideas, um, you know, before I went all in on them. Um, and Zora's house has been one long test after another, I think two years in and we're just now getting to the place where I'm like, I think I know what our what our uh, membership model is. I think I know what this is because we tested certain language, it didn't resonate. We tested certain pricing, it didn't resonate. Um, and there was no way for us to know until we actually tested it. But I think 
being invested in trying to have like the um, minimum amount of time and money you can put into something to test it before you go all in. And we did the same thing with the Activate community. When we first launched, I, I'm, I'm like you, and honestly, you're a big reason why I learned how to do websites so efficiently because you made that a part of one of the cor- many courses that I bought. But um, I'm like, hey, I can make a landing page. That's not going to take long. I can make a, listen, boo, what, give me the domain, give me the WordPress login, that I can do pretty quickly. And so for Activate, it was pretty easy for me to put something up. But what I did was I partnered with other women who, hey, can you give 30 minutes to an hour of your time to teach an online course to our community? And then I went back and looked and said, okay, what are the most popular courses that we're seeing in here? And I was telling people, okay, we're here to help you scale your business and build your impact. And what I realized is that the women who got the most out of our pilot program were women who had these ideas and just didn't know how to move forward with them. So I'm, I'm trying to work with people who are way down the line, not realizing that I'm for women who are in the ideation process, whether it is a podcast you're thinking about or whether it is a book that you're thinking about writing. And so having that clarity has been really helpful for me. And then also helps me as I'm looking to plan future classes that are going to be in the, in the activate community, I'm not going to come in there and say, okay, how to scale from five figures to six figures. People are like, I haven't even made two figures with this business breed. Like nobody knows about it, but you and me. (laughs) It's really good to, to get that clarity. And like you said, and I, I, as I say all the time on this podcast, you have to start somewhere because sometimes you start and you fail, but sometimes you start. And again, not necessarily you make six figures, but you get closer to what your next phase is going to be. 100%. You 100%. So I have a couple more questions before we transition to our up close and purposeful segment. And those are just short questions we ask all of our guests. But I really want to know, especially as someone who is so passionate about community, how your community, and I guess you could kind of give this twofold, your community as in your family and friends, but then your community as in the community you're serving really help you to stay grounded in the work that you're doing. Yeah, I mean, I think um, it, it's definitely community in terms of, first of all, you know, my my husband and I, we have really good communication and try to share our visions and really align what we want for not just ourselves, but our families, what we want for ourselves as professionals, whole people. Um, hi, guess who's back? Guess who's back? Back at it again. Um, what we want for ourselves as professionals, as whole people, as parents, as Christians, all of those things. So we try to really keep the lines of communication open and really set a vision for, you know, what what we want for ourselves. Um, I also think it, it is helpful to be helping um, women and people who um, I deeply care about. Um, because it really keeps me grounded and, and it's not just numbers or it's not just a, you know, ultimately you put up the landing page cause you test the idea, but like the work is more than just a landing page. And so we get their real women behind the story. Um, and Zora's house is also all about co-creation. So as I shared in the example, when I was like, yeah, y'all want a national thing. All right, well, let's, let's figure this out together. Who's in. Um, and, and that's how I often approach my work is not from this perspective of like, being the only expert or being the full-on expert it's like i'm experts on this part of the work but i fully intend for us to co-create together um especially when it comes to the work of of zora's house so i really stay rooted in that way and that i i get to see you know my my vision i get to see um 
my vision through the lens and the eyes of, of other people, not just myself. Beautiful. So you talked about you and you've talked about it a little bit throughout, but talked about you, how you and your husband are like, Hey, how are we working to be better people, better parents, better Christians? And so I love to have people share their faith stories because I know for me, I was born and raised in the church, but I don't feel like I knew Jesus for real, for real until college <laughs> because then everything I thought I knew was tested. And then it became like a, no, this, I had to have my own relationship. So I'd love to know about your faith journey. We don't have enough time for that journey, but I'll give you the the snippet is that I was not raised, um, I was not raised in the church. I was a Christian, I mean, a Christmas and Easter Christian. So we did go on Christmas and Easter. My grandparents were both really religious, but in ways that didn't resonate with me, my grandma, who I loved, who I love, um, was Pentecostal. And that is a particular experience um, for my Pentecostals out there, holla. But yeah, we'd be in church for like seven hours. I was like, what is happening? My grandpa was a Southern Baptist, you know, preacher. And so, you know, seeing kind of like, you know, seeing the ways that religion showed up for them, it just really did not resonate with me. Um, And it wasn't until college when my mom got sick kind of the first time that I you know, had this experience, I'm going to put these Cheerios in a cup and put her down. We'll see how this goes. Here you go, baby girl. Um, my mom had this, you know, just was getting sick and, and all these things. And I, you know, felt like I, I didn't know where else to turn, you know, and I had an experience as in my, um, I had experience at a gospel concert that I was not trying to go to, that I got tricked into going to by one of my friends. And I just felt like, you know, the presence of the Lord for the first time, like just really washing over me and, you know, just felt this voice of like, you will never be alone again. I just remember breaking down and just like giving my life over to Christ at that time. And even then, you know, I've always been like a questioning Christian. So like after that whole thing happened the next day, I'm like, okay, so how does this work? Wait, hold up now. So then you did that and he, what? And then you died on, uh uh-uh, that that don't make no sense. What about Jews? They go to hell? Like what's the, you know, like I had all of these questions. So my faith walk has always been, um, one of the verses that I love, um, and I don't even know where it is, but I, I say it to myself often, but it's, I believe, but help my unbelief. And so really just believing that it's okay to have questions and it's okay to walk in that and still be in faith, even as you're working through, you know, I'm a big, you know, advocate for, you know, queer women and queer youth and all of that. And, and so, you know, my journey has, has really been one of, of being in relationship with God and, and, um, trying to be very connected to not only the, the word, but also the intent behind the word, um, you know, and, and how to love like and walk like, you know, Christ as, as often as I, as often as I can in whatever ways that I can. Yeah, I think for me, um, I just always am like, man, and, and I can't even lie, sis, I can't lie to you. Sometimes I'll be like, Jesus, what the, he was here for, he was here for 33 years, but he only had like three years of ministry. So like, he got to kind of chill and like, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Like, I can't, I can't lie to you. I never said that to anybody else from saying it here on the podcast, because I'll be like, where do we go from here sometimes in my faith and i know that i even have seasons where i'm comparing myself to how i used to be and i'm like i used to be doing this and i used to be even with covid i'm like man i used to be praying with people in the streets and in the grocery stores and now i feel awkward because i'm like 
I know you don't even really want me close to you, let alone holding your hands while we pray. So I think the, the, the part that's helped me is like, man, Lord, the, and a, a prayer I've been praying even this week is like, Lord, even if my, how I walk my faith out looks different. Like, let me not lose my passion and my fire for you to the point where now I'm being deceived by anything or, you know, I ain't read my Bible in three months or I haven't prayed or whatever the case may be. I'm like, Hey, don't let me get too far out where, right. you know, now, now, now other people are like, dang, she, especially with the platform that I have, like, did, wasn't that the same girl who was doing the Bible studies and now she, have, I don't, I don't right. know what happened. <laughs> But at the same time, just making way for yourself to grow in, in that spiritual journey and, and for your walk to take many forms, you know, like you're going to minister to your children, you're going to minister to your spouse, you're going to minister in, in a multitude of different ways, you're going to minister through this podcast, like there are a lot of ways and I think that that's what's really important and, and um, you know, for me, I've always been somebody who really believed that like, that walk and, and that relationship is going to look different truly for every person. And that's okay. You know, and, and it's going to look different. We, I recently did a series through Zora's house. We did a series called wine and wisdom Wednesdays, which was a series of like coming of age stories for women of color and thinking about what does it look like, um, as we come of age over and over again in our lives, right? Like as, as, as mothers, as daughters, as entrepreneurs in our careers, like we come of age over and over again, we learn and we birth new parts of ourselves and that'll be true of our faith walk as well. Absolutely, absolutely. So now we'll transition to our up close and purposeful segment. And my first question is, what does it mean to you to be a black girl with purpose? Um, I think it means somebody who is very, being very rooted in who I am as a black woman, a black girl, being very rooted in my blackness and celebratory for what that means for me and, and what that means for how I move through the world and how I show up in spaces. And, and, um, you know, there, there are folks and there are black women I've met who are like, oh yeah, you know, like whatever, everybody's the same, like, you know, black, white, purple, green. I'm like, first of all, ain't no purple and green people. That's number one. But, you know, they're kind of like, ah, it doesn't matter. For me, like, being Black matters a lot, you know, and, and it's a defining part of who I am, an important part of who I am. And so um, that, like, being a Black girl, first of all, I think just just recognizing that piece and recognizing, and I think, like, even just hearing the word girl, and I'm a, I'm a big word nerd, so, like, words mean a lot to me. So even saying, like, Black girl with purpose, I think when you put yourself back to the place where you are somebody who's constantly learning. Like I associate girlhood with that process of coming of age. Um, I, I associate girlhood with the process of being mothered. And I think a lot about what does it mean even as a, an adult woman to be mothered, um, to tap into ancestral knowledge or the knowledge of folks who have come before us, um, to be in a place of constant evolution and learning. And those are all things that, that matter to me. And then just like being on purpose, you know, doing what I do with, with intention um and a deep belief that like i'm i'm called to i'm called to particular work um and what does it look like for me to walk in that purpose i have never heard anyone make that connection with girlhood and i love that you said that because even with my books the black girls guide to living on purpose like there are so many women that buy that and I, 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 it's just interesting to me too, even as women, how many of us are like, hey girl, like, I don't know, I don't hear other cultures refer to each other, oh, that's my girl, or, you know, your girlfriend's house, or whatever, and so um, I just, 
I never noticed anyone who's like, I'm not a black girl. I'm a black woman. It's just, there's just something about that where, um, I, I, I really just love what you said about it kind of brings you to this place of humility of like, yes, I'm a woman, but I'm also a girl. And, and even, you know, if we want to even take it the, further than that, like even as a, a child of God, like I'm still, I'm a woman, but I'm still a child. Like God is still taking Correct. care of me. And that's exactly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right. You're right. One and, and my um, blog was entitled color girl confidential. And one of the things that would come up is I'd have people 50 and 60 years old reading my blog and, and talk about that. What does it mean? to be a color girl, to be a black girl, to, to, you know, still, like I said, be attached to girlhood in that way. Um, and I think that's really powerful. So what are you, what are your go-to scriptures? Um, or if you have a song, cause I asked, I had a, a musician on here earlier this week and she was giving me like go-to songs whenever she is in need of encouragement. Yes. Yeah, so interestingly enough, last night we were driving and my husband started um, singing Take Me to the King by Tamala Mann. And I was just like, oh, I remember that came out, man. That that hit home, like, in such a powerful way. And so I was like, I'm going to play it. I started playing that song in the car. We were driving back from my in-laws' house, and I just sobbed. Like, it just broke something open in me because I, the words were so, I hadn't listened to it in a long time. The words were so resonant for t- 2020. You know, even just like the idea of like, you know, I'm all churched out, hurt and abused. Like, you know, I I don't even know this world has been so hard and rough with my soul and my spirit this year. Like, I don't even know what to do. You know, like, I don't have a lot to bring. Like, just take me to the king. Let me look upon you and just remember what's possible. And it just really hit me. So I I am really big into um, into music as as a form of worship. Even when I can't get connected, I think sometimes just like starting, um, you know, starting the day or starting like if I'm starting to write a grant proposal or even something like that, like I'll just put on a gospel song and that's my way of like getting connected to, you know, um, getting connected to the Lord and and thinking about, you know, how I walk as a Christian um, in certain ways. And so the other song that that is a... Um, huge one for me oftentimes this one's like really important because I struggle is uh kind of like I give myself away so you can use me and I love that song because I oftentimes can get I'm very ambitious I'm very focused that's how I get so much done but at the same time like I can really get to the point where I'm like this is my plan this is what I want to do like this is you know and just really start getting to a place where I'm very focused on myself um and that's what's and and I won't say it's ego that's driving the work, but it's more so like my plan versus God's plan. And so um, I love that song, especially when I find myself getting very like, this is what, this is what's happening. This is how it's happening. This is it. I have a plan. I will play that song and I'll be like, you know what? I give myself away, move me out of the way, use me, use this work the way it's meant to be used in ways that I can't even understand. And it always helps really recenter me on the fact that like, I'm not, in the driver's seat here, right? Like, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm not. So that that is something that um, is, is deeply important to me and a song that always, you know, really supports that mindset shift. Beautiful. What do you find yourself grateful for in this season? This little one, my son who's three, my husband, it sounds really cliche, but I'm really grateful for, 
I'm really grateful for uh, a life that I don't want to escape from. And I say that because I remember early in COVID, um, I had a, a mentor post a status about who was a domestic abuse survivor, post a status about all of the folks who are going to be home at a stressful time with their abusers. Um, and okay. And it was something that I had not, to be honest, like I hadn't really thought about, right? Like, of course, we're all talking about COVID. We're thinking about this. I'm like, I hadn't thought about like, what about the people who are now, you know, basically at home with like abusive parents or partners or whatever else who um, aren't going to have that, like, you know, the outdoors. And she was just saying like, this would have been my worst nightmare years ago. And in, in thinking about that, you know, I also just found myself being so grateful for, um, you know, a life where like, I actually really enjoy being like, there have been moments because I'm an introvert where like being quarantined has driven me crazy. These babies are driving me crazy. But overarchingly, like, you know, I, you know, I love being around my kids. I enjoy hanging out with my husband. Like, you know, I'm grateful for the work that I do. So I really feel like when in a year that's kind of focused me on only having contact to these like certain <clears throat> immediate parts of my life i'm really grateful that that my work my family my chosen family my friends um all of those are at a place where like i like y'all like i'm this is just showing me that like i like y'all you know i like my family i like my kids i like my friends i like my work and i feel grateful for that i love that you the way you said that i'm really grateful for a life that i don't want to escape from um and I found I found myself feeling the same things earlier this year. Where I was like, man, and my husband even said, he said, man, if we were in our house in New Orleans, he's like, this would be a little bit of a tight spot because it was kind of it was a shotgun style house, like an L shaped shotgun. Like we got the living room, we got the bedroom, we got the kitchen, <laughs> and there's no doors, and no one could escape, and you know, like so being able to be um, in the house that we're in now has been such a, a God thing. And I think a lot of people have seen the way that God has come through and, and things that we fought him on, kind of like you were talking about with employment and being like, I want to hire more people. And then when we see why things didn't happen, being like, Lord, thank you that you didn't listen to what I was saying. <laughs> like, thank you for keeping me in a child's place. <laughs> and I think the other piece about escape too, that's really important is like, we escape in a lot of different ways, right? So like escape could be, man, I got to come home and I got to drink a glass of wine every night. Like, you know, or I got to, I got to go out every weekend because like during the week I'm unhappy with my job or like I have to do. So there are a lot of ways that like we escape some healthier than others. Um, but you know, I think with COVID when we were forced to kind of like sit in our lives in, in very real ways without having even those small escapes that we may normally have, you know, it's just like, man, I'm, I'm glad that I enjoy those things and I don't need them you know, to be content in my life and recognizing that like, that's not true for everybody for a variety of different reasons. So I'm, I'm grateful for it. So second to last question, what is next for Zora's house? You you spoke on it a little bit doing the, your, your national network, but what else is going on with y'all? The other big thing that's going on is that we have been in conversation about uh, Zora's house 2.0. So we're right now in an actual house that my husband and I purchased. Um, and it's about, you know, a little under 2000 square feet. Um, and fingers crossed y'all pray for us, but we are in conversation about 
potentially a new build on about a million dollar project that's about 10,000 square feet that will be just phenomenal and and um you know i just think about what will happen when black women other women of color in our community can go to a place that is literally made for them and it's not just like our our house was to an extent but when you go to a place that's like 10,000 square feet of beautiful furniture and you know a bookshelf a, a library that carries a thousand books by women of color and you know a cafe and a gift shop that only celebrates and centers our identities and our voice and our ideas like what will happen when you get to walk in that you know what i mean and so i'm so grateful for how those conversations are unfolding and hopefully you know you'll be hearing more about that coming soon because when that happens one of the things that we will really look to do is start to bring folks from outside of central ohio into our community um in some very real ways i was about to say the way you were describing it i'm like people over here like okay as soon as covid is over i'm about to get a ticket to go to columbus ohio and we actually before we were supposed to launch a program that did not launch this year called the residency program which is actually an opportunity for folks to stay even at current zora's house for up to five days while they worked on some sort of like on-site at zora's house for up to five days while they worked on um, a meaningful or culture shifting project. So we had just piloted it. We had activists, writers, entrepreneurs from all around the country would come. And just imagine like, like all of the, you know, coffee shop, homegirls house, but then add like Airbnb to it. And you just get like this magical place where like, you get to escape from everything and just work on something that matters. And you can just walk downstairs and there are some dope women just like hanging out that you can talk to and brainstorm with. And so it was really special. The pilot was phenomenal. We had folks from California, from Chicago, from North Carolina, from DC, like coming to pilot um, to pilot that experience. And the plan was to launch it this year. And then once again, COVID happened. It was like, um, nobody's traveling anywhere. Um, and so, but we're still really excited because in our new space, um, part of that conversation is like, what does an even more expansive residency experience look like where we can have almost like a retreat space we can have we can host retreats we can have folks come really stay on site and be able to um just spend some some dedicated time in zora's house that's dedicated to to them and not to all of their titles when you're at zora's house you know um you're not you're not mom wife daughter friend you're you you know and it's your time for yourself and so for your dreams, for what you want, for what you desire to tap into those things that you may not be thinking about on the everyday basis. Um, and so I'm really excited about that as well. That's also something that will be coming um, soon. And I can't wait for what it looks like in our, um, in our larger, even more expansive space. Fantastic. Mm. Like, I feel like y'all are hearing like a God vision. Cause this is something like, where do you even get that? Like, how do you even, yeah, that's, mm. I can't wait. I'm excited. I'm gonna get my ticket too. Uh, so how can our how can our oh my gosh wow mm. pregnancy brain how can our community best support the work that you are doing? 
So look us up at zorashouse.com. I'm sure Bree will have the contact information. Join our newsletter, which is Zora's List. Um, and it's a really phenomenal kind of like weekly resource roundup of articles, stories, all centering women of color, our ideas, our healing, our, our activism, leadership, all of that good stuff. Um, and it's also where you find out when there are opportunities to become more deeply involved and invested in Zora's house. And I'll also send my email address if there are those of you who are interested in being a part of, you know, the, the national community as we pilot it before we launch publicly, feel free to reach out to me and I'd love to share more information about that as well. And now we're about to get into meltdown mode. She's like, you fed me 30 Cheerios. And She's like, I will not eat another Cheerio. I know you're trying to pacify me. You're like, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. <laughs> so my last thing is just a last piece of advice for our audience. Anyone who's listened to this and they're like, man, where do I go from here? I feel like I got all these great nuggets, but like what action should I take from this? Um, you know, I think one of the things that you can always do is, is identify, you know, what is your vision? What's the thing that you're trying to build? What is the next step that you can take towards that? You know, I think when we talk about, I know you want to tell the people all the things here. When we talk about like, what is that vision that you have? What is the next thing that you want to do towards that vision? Um, and what's holding you back and just really sitting down. And I actually have a worksheet that I'll share with Bree that I send doing some of my, um, that I do in, in some of my workshops that we have at Zora's house that is called the BHAG. Like what is your big, hairy, audacious goal? Um, and really talking about, well, what is it? And not just what is it, but why does it matter? What does it represent to you? So sometimes we may be like, oh, I want to run a 5k and we stop there and we're just like, oh, just because I want to, but it's like, what would when it, doing or not doing that 5k represent, right? If sometimes it's like, yeah, if I don't do it, it would represent another time that I failed myself, right? So like all of a sudden you're digging into, oh wait, this isn't just like running a 5k. This is about whether or not I can actually commit to myself. So it just kind of walks you through thinking about that, thinking about a next step, thinking about what resources you have. Um, and I'd be happy to share that with you all um, as an opportunity for you to think through what what's on your mind, what's the goal that's on your heart, and, and how do you get a little closer? Perfect. I will definitely make sure that I get that worksheet for them. And um, and I love that that's how you start, you know, start with a big idea and then you break down the steps. Cause I think sometimes we start with the small thing cause this is what's achievable, but you got to go the opposite direction so that you know where you're headed. Uh, but Elsie, this has been such an amazing interview. I'm so uh, grateful. As I said, before we even got on here that you uh, took the time to talk with us. I know women have been encouraged. Like I said, got a little bit of a coaching session in there where we're talking about a minimum viable product. And uh, I'm so pumped to see the things that are going to continue to evolve out of the Zora's house community because I know even with this 10,000 square foot space they you know especially as people of God guys like cool so now we moving into you're like wait what and now we're gonna have one in every city like what and I know I think we've even talked about that you wanted to have a Zora's house in in places all over the country so I know it's going to happen and I'm super excited to see how it unfolds and again I just want to thank you for your time especially with babies because you already know that I know how that goes. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me and you all, just so you know, she was not supposed to be here during this interview. She's homesick today. So I was going to be a lot cuter, maybe not hiding out in my kid's room, 
Um, but this is the co-worker today. So thank you for allowing me to be a part of uh, this space and allowing me to be a part of your journey. All right, Purpose Peeps, that's it for this week. If you enjoyed today's episode, please do one of three things for me. First, post a screenshot and key takeaway on your Instagram story and tag us at Black Girls of Purpose so we can repost you. Second, if you think someone would enjoy this episode, please share it with them. And then third, please leave a review so we can continue to reach a lot of people with this podcast. It is such a pleasure to come to you guys each and every week, and I'm so looking forward to continuing to grow our community. I'll talk to you next week.